Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. The new year is a great time to reset your relationship with your emotions. We all experience things that don't feel so good. Stuff like sadness, anxiety, burnout, and guilt. But in 2022, I want to help you look at these emotions in a new light. I'm Dr. Laurie Santos. In the new season of my podcast, The Happiness Lab, I'll show you that the path to happiness actually involves embracing your negative emotions and listening to the important things they have to say. So listen to The Happiness Lab in the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. A women's gym is taking extra steps to protect their members, and of course men are taking issue with it. Drew Barrymore is opening up about her regrets over working with Woody Allen. And we're joined by Allison Stoner to talk about the dangers of child stardom. It's May 18th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shyla Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So Casey, Ariana Grande got married. Oh, secret married. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise wedding. You know, I'm like happy for her. You know, they say it was like a really quiet, intimate ceremony of just like 20 people at her house. I guess I'm just really surprised because her engagement to Pete Davidson was so public and like was, you know, a long time, I guess. And then I feel like she just got engaged and married and it was all so hush hush. It feels very like different for her. I don't know. That's called growth and learning from past lessons. (laughs) We love to see it. We love to see it. (laughs) Okay, so to start our show, we're going to be talking about a gym that's going viral for how it protects women. And of course, that means some men are angry about it to the point that they're calling it, quote, segregation. This started thanks to a TikTok from Heather Huseman from Kansas. She attends an all-woman gym called Blush Fitness, which has features like tinted windows so people can't look inside, free menstrual products, and the staff leaves notes for attendees when male staff will be in the building. Huseman spoke to BuzzFeed Shelby Heinrich about her experience at the gym and told her, quote, I definitely feel safer in an all-women's gym. I personally like to wear tight clothing because it is easier to work out in, and I don't have to worry about men taking photos of me without my permission or worry about men making me feel uncomfortable while I'm there. Of course, there are some comments exclusively from men about this gym. Some of them note, quote, ain't we stopped segregation like 60 years ago, and quote, this doesn't sound like equality. 
Um, so this is both the best thing I've ever heard in terms of the all-women's gym, but also the dumbest thing I've ever heard in terms of men calling it segregation. I mean, it's just like, what are what are those men's only, like, clubs that they have, the, like, you know, golf clubs right. or whatever? And, like, you know, we have, like, gendered bathrooms and things like that. Like, this is not that different. And it's a, it's creating a safe space for women. People, women definitely get harassed at the gym. Charlotte, you just brought up so many valid points. <laughs> Literally <laughs> all are correct. And it is, I, I was just thinking about like how offensive on so many levels it is to use the word segregation in this instance. Yes, but, it really is. <laughs> but also it's like when I saw the fact like of the tinted windows, yes, I don't want people looking at me. And I'm sorry, but that point about her saying she likes wearing tight clothing and she doesn't want people taking photos of her. Mm-hmm. I have never seen in my lifetime at the gym, a woman take a picture of a man at the gym. Vice versa? Yes, I've seen it. Yes, I've seen TikToks about people, you know, like asking their followers, like, do you think this person is taking a photo of me while I'm at the gym? It's like, you're there to work out. It, I I love this. I love Flush Fitness. I want one here in LA. I love safe spaces. (laughs) Let's keep them going. Yes. Um, Now, meanwhile, Drew Barrymore has opened up about how having children changed her opinion about working with Woody Allen. In an interview with Dylan Farrow on The Drew Barrymore Show about the HBO documentary series Alan B. Farrow, Barrymore explained to Dylan that in order to have a frank conversation, she needed to address the fact that she worked with Alan in the past. I worked with Woody Allen. I did a film with him in 1996 called Everyone Says I Love You. And um, there was no higher career calling card than to work with Woody Allen. And um, then I had children. And it changed me because I realized that I was one of the people who was basically gaslit into not looking at a narrative beyond what I was being told. And I see what's happening in the industry now. The HBO documentary discussed on the show addresses Dylan's allegations that she was sexually abused by her adopted father when she was a child, although Alan has continuously denied those allegations. You know, I'm happy for Drew Barrymore, especially because it's realizing that you've been gaslit is a really difficult thing to process. Yes. You know, and Shiloh, one thing that I want to say that rubbed me the wrong way is when she said that what made her realize this was having children. Yeah, it sort of reminded me of when men say like, oh, I have a sister or I have a daughter Mm, or a mother. And so like, I don't, you know, condone violence against women or whatever. And it's like, you shouldn't have to have a woman in your life to not condone those actions. Mm -hmm. So her saying that having a child all of a sudden changed how she felt like that's great, but that shouldn't have had to be the case, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you know what? At the end of the day, I am glad that she's finally gotten to a place where she's talking about how she didn't like that. That was a part of her past, uh, you know, in the present, because that is not the same for many other people who have worked with him and continue to. So, Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so moving on to something empowering we've seen over the past few months, women coming forward to tell their stories about how finding fame at a young age really screwed them up and what they're doing to move past it. 
We saw it with the heartbreaking Demi Lovato docuseries Dancing with the Devil. Paris Hilton has spoken out about how the media treated her in the past on our podcast. And someone who has really stepped up in this realm is Alison Stoner. We first came to know her as a child dancer in a series of very popular Missy Elliott music videos in the early 2000s. She later went on to star in films like Cheaper by the Dozen and the Step Up franchise. And in the past few months, she's opened up about how her early career really messed her up, taking a serious toll on both her mind and body. She wrote the op-ed piece, The Toddler to Trainwreck Industrial Complex for People Magazine, and joins us now to talk about her work in this space. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. First off, I want to say thank you for sharing your story. You know, not only have you written an op-ed about your experiences for people, but you've also embraced sharing your story via vlogs, interviews, and TikToks. Why was now the right time for you to talk about this? Like, you know, what made you feel like you were ready to speak out and share this part of your life? I've had these articles and pieces of information written for years. First, Mm -hmm. I believe I reached a point in my personal healing and development to be able to recount the stories without reliving them. And I feel a healthy distance Mm -hmm. from that disempowered, fearful, helpless version of myself, you know, when I couldn't advocate for my well-being or manage the pressures of the day. Second, culturally, societally, right now we're in this chapter of reckoning. We're facing ourselves. We're facing the systems we've inherited and perpetuate. We're facing the values and the the views that drive us. So, you know, there are countless causes worthy of our attention right now. And this is my best Mm -hmm. contribution. It's combining my expertise and experience with a purpose to improve conditions for uh, current and, and future generations. Mm-hmm. What's the reaction been like? As with all things, <laughs> for mm-hmm. as many humans as there are reacting, th- that's how many reactions and, and variations mm-hmm. we see. At the surface, it might appear that this issue is only relevant to child actors and and Hollywood producers. But the response actually shows just how large this ecosystem is. I've heard from casting directors, set medics, agents, union members, talent recruiters, theater programs, audiences, policymakers, lawyers, you know, child development experts. And so I think it's good to take the bird's eye view and to see we're going to need everyone's voice in this Mm -hmm. dialogue. And the stories of, of other actors coming forward, yes, that is brave. It's riveting. It's often heart wrenching. And it's still just an entry point to this whole web of conversations. They're the opening act. They're not the the finale. And, you know, just like you said, there are so many issues right now that deserve our attention. And it feels like as a society, one of the ones that we're really focusing on is this reckoning of, you know, how we treat women. And it's really led to examine, you know, we're examining how they're treated when you enter this entertainment pipeline as children. You know, we've seen Britney Spears and Demi Lovato, who I know you worked with on Camp Rock, be featured in documentaries. So has it felt empowering to see these other stories be told? It, it is emboldening. It also 
there's such a competitive nature to it all that we've been pitted against each other. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. as we see someone come forward, there's this dual response of, yes, I want to see you thrive. And also, uh uh-oh, what does that mean? I have to do, am I under the same pressure now to come forward or to be a pillar for Mm -hmm. this cause? Or, you know, what's my path in all of this? Because there's such a scarcity mentality and whose turn is it? Whose time is it to shine? And also this whole concept of reinvention, you know, artistic chapters where you were first, you know, the rebel and now you're the good girl. Like there's, there are these archetypes that have been predetermined for women and females. And it's so fascinating that as a consumer, we don't see that this is like literally copy and paste. It's on a cycle and it repeats every single generation. So if we would just look up the articles that were released 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you start to see, oh, they're just plugging and playing. This isn't an Mm -hmm. authentic journey for someone. And so, yes, seeing people come forward about their truth, very emboldening. But also we have to be careful that it doesn't just comply with the Mm -hmm. pipeline that's already established. We want it to be honest and we also want it to actually translate to improved well-being. And that's what I haven't seen. I just see people coming forward and either quitting the industry to find health as if they're mutually exclusive and they're not, or they're struggling their way through it. And their art is born from that pain. There's no reason in any industry that humans should be so, you know, mechanistic and it should be such a machine-like experience that we're not able to literally breathe and hydrate and eat and pee and sleep. (laughs) Like if I had a nickel for every time I couldn't do one of those because I had to be on set or working, like I could fund my whole company (laughs) and that's horrible. (laughs) And, you know, just after hearing you talk about this, something that I'm really wondering is if you and some of like these other former child stars have spoken with each other about your experiences and if so, what those conversations have been like. The conversations are very nuanced, but it is amazing. And I say that not with a positive connotation, but it's fascinating when you share similarly traumatic experiences, how you have these parallels, these very nuanced, complex parallels in how your your mind works, how your body has physicalized uh, some of the pain through very specific kinds of symptoms and ailments. And it's incredible that none of us or most of us didn't communicate with each other because we were all in silos. So I'm sad that it took years and years, even decades for us to reach out to each other. But like I said, because we were pitted against each other, it was survival of the fittest. And by no means would we relay some sort of weakness or vulnerability that could potentially harm our livelihood or trajectory. So now um, hearing people's stories, I'm realizing just how parallel the experiences are. And therefore, I think it's something that can have research 
done behind it to support, mm-hmm. you know, what practices and what changes would actually garner the best results, mm-hmm. the most ethical standards for set protocol and, um, you know, contracts and legalities, etc. Well, we'll be right back to talk more about the toddler to train wreck complex with Allison Stoner. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Welcome back. We're talking with Allison Stoner about how the film industry treats child stars. So in addition to writing an op-ed, you also released a video on YouTube about the topic under the same title, and you explain a very specific system that fuels the toddler to train wreck complex. I'd like to play a bit of that here. A full-fledged system has emerged. It's expertly constructed, and it's bolted in place by censoring the harm happening behind the scenes manicuring aspirational lifestyles and outcomes, and then watching young lives tragically implode. You may recognize the pipeline by specific press campaigns like Shocking Rebellion or Miraculous Comeback. It prophesies pitiful and shameful fates for little tots with big talent while conveniently remaining in denial of its own violent blueprint. How would you shake up the system so that future child stars can flourish? Can this industry really be changed in a meaningful way? Yes, because we created it one way so we can recreate something else. There are so many demands that we could make. First and foremost, my approach here is not to blame It's not to shame and it's not to name one kind of criminal in this. This is a conversation where we need to involve health and industry professionals, the artists and their families. So things that we could shift. First, child labor laws in all 50 states. Why are there states with kids performing and performing a variety of kinds of labor? 
and there are no laws to protect them at all. Second, having professionals on set. That could be an entertainment psychologist. It could be a mental health practitioner. You could name occupational therapist, child life specialist, whatever that is, have them on set. And their sole job is to advocate for the child's well-being. Third, better union regulation to see the union invest in mental health services. There are a couple programs. The Looking Ahead program exists. I don't know what kind of funding they get, but I didn't hear about that growing up and I've been doing this for over two decades. Also, client representatives. I feel that there should be some kind of buffer before you sign where the representative says, hey, this is what to expect when you enter. When you embark on this adventure, this is how it could affect your family dynamic, your finances, schooling, all of the above so that families are better equipped. And then there are larger Mm -hmm. cultural conversations here too. You know, there's a concept called de-rolling. And it's helping minors separate their identity after performing really, you know, traumatizing scenes or even positive scenes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just this identity split that takes place. And if you don't de-roll, then you're carrying everything into the rest of your night. You're blurring what's real, what's imagined. Um, you know, you're starting to adopt some of the characteristics and traits of who you're portraying. Just with every industry, we want to be able to safely report misconduct conduct, you know, with a no retaliation policy. We need larger conversations even about like, what kind of society are we living in that something like child stardom even exists? Like, that's just a kickoff question. What kind of values are driving us that a four-year-old with 500,000 followers is considered okay. (laughs) But like, and and that's not necessarily a judgment one way or another. It's just a launching pad. Like let's explore what we've created and what needs to be reimagined. Yeah. We were just talking about this yesterday, actually on the show, um, just about like how, you know, when you're growing up in this like social media frenzy and you have millions and millions of followers, like we don't know what that's going to do to people in the long mm-hmm. term, you know? Yeah, we don't have that science yet or that data yet. Like, but there will be eventually. My God. <laughs> also, you think about the, the Coogan laws that help protect them. Um, I believe it's 10% of a minor's income. And I don't believe there are, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are no laws to protect young influencers whose families maybe, you know, there's like a family channel and the kids are quote unquote acting or they're participating, but maybe they're not seeing a dime of revenue. So that's its own really blurry uh, territory. Mm -hmm. So, you know, since working through all of this and talking about it, I guess I'm wondering if this has shifted the focus of your career at all. I mean, I feel like people get so much joy watching you dance and now with the videos you're posting on TikTok and even watching some of your older Missy Elliott videos on YouTube, is is all of that going to still be a priority for you or have things shifted? Life is all about choices. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel responsible and accountable for the platform that I have. My personal goals prioritize helping people feel safe, comfortable, and confident in their mind and body, which is why I founded Movement Genius. And, you know, we've now had over 150,000 people tune in to these non-athletic movement classes that improve mental and emotional well-being. So, you know, perhaps down the road, this can actually be a resource on sets. Um, you know, we could train movement genius facilitators. But, you know, overall, this period allows me 
also to shift my relationship to creativity and artistry. So it's healthier and it's more honest and it's it's less attached to commodifying myself as a product. You know, I didn't really have that opportunity. I was a product, uh, you know, starting at six years old. Oof, oof. Um, so whenever I do decide to make an album or explore filmmaking, it'll reflect a more genuine thumbprint. And that is really, really exciting to me. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do next. And we just want to say thank you so much for joining us. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for chatting. We could go for hours. Oh boy, we could. (laughs) All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, if you don't want, quote, segregated gyms, don't take photos of women at the gym. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.